0: This is Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Braden. My name's Aaron Dugan. You can wait. You didn't say your Twitter handle.
0: Oh, I'm I'm at Braden Gall on the Twitter. <laughs> wow, what a yeah. slip up. I'm,
1: I'm um the Aaron Dugan on Twitter. Uh, Aaron underscore Dugan on the gram.
0: There you have it. We have a fun show today planned for you. All kinds of good stuff coming. Uh, however, we will have a, before we get into what's coming up on the show, Aaron. We will have an announcement next week on the program. A special announcement, if you will. What is it? Are you excited? Well, I, well you I can't, can't say it yet. I can't tell you now, because then, then...
1: Have would... you told me, even?
0: Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know. It's interesting that you're asking me that, but we're going to have an announcement on the show next week. It's exciting.
1: Oh. I could only sleep for 45 minutes last night, so I'm just, you know.
0: You and my wife. My wife can't sleep right now, either. so.
1: Um. Wait, before, I, and I know this is off topic, but do you understand the reference on my sweatshirt?
0: Nonchalance. It
1: says nonchalance. Do you know yeah, that reference? I, I, it's like I one of the that. only TV shows I actually watch.
0: Is that Shit's is that, uh, Creek? Yeah. <laughs> of course it is. It's one of the yes. greatest television shows of all time.
1: God, I love David. It's,
0: ew. Okay. Ew, David. Um, Moving
1: past wardrobe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> rolling shit. I'm actually the mayor. Um, all right. So. you be. Coming up later on the show, Trey Wallace of Fox Sports Knoxville going to join us to give us some insight into what's going on with Tennessee. I really, Aaron, don't want this podcast to turn into a Tennessee-centric podcast, but Tennessee and the gravitational force of news in the SEC just seems to cling to Knoxville. And of course, the the bizarro press conference on, on Monday, we'll spend a lot of time with Jeremy Pruitt has now been fired as the head coach. So it is obviously the biggest piece of news in the SEC. So we're going to focus on that. Trey Wallace is going to join us. We'll have a lot of talk here on the front end about Tennessee. We do have to get to some coaching news around the league. You've got LSU with the, with the new offensive coordinator. We haven't had a chance to talk about him yet. Just missed out on a defensive coordinator. So we'll get to that. Have a conversation about legacies and CEO coaches versus, you know, sort of ball coaches, if you will. So a lot of stuff on the show today. Uh, media coverage. We're going to get into how the media has no effing clue what's going on in these coaching searches. So we'll get to all of that, but I guess we can start in Knoxville with, as I just said, Jeremy Pruitt has been fired with cause the, the bizarro press conference that took place on Monday where they heaped effusive praise all over Philip Fulmer while forcing him sort of to resign. I, I don't know about you, Aaron, what was your first thought when you heard the news, saw the press conference and now looks at the university of Tennessee in the middle of another coaching search in a bizarre time of year.
1: As we talk about a lot, I'm a press conference nerd. I think that after sitting through so many of them, they're one of the most telling, you know, pieces of media that comes out every week. Not only because, you know, the vibe in the room, the questions that are being asked, but their responses. Um, And sometimes you learn something. In this, we did not learn anything from value of information that was... Um, talked about by the University of Tennessee and its affiliates in this press conference. It was, well, A, it was nonchalance. There's a reference for you. (laughs) It was nonchalance at its finest. It was, it lacked transparency because we're all kind of watching it like, wait, what? It, It just made it worse. It was this huge ode to Fulmer, which just felt really weird. And it was like, if someone... It's like if someone wronged you, but you're still sucking up because you're brainwashed. Like, I, I was watching it and g- thought that I had heard the worst of it, and then it just kept getting worse.
0: You want me to try to explain it to you? Because I, I do, I, I think you can I, you? You need a translator, but you need like a PR <laughs> firm, coaching search firm, college football media, press conference translator. I don't know if those exist yet. If you can invent one, you'll probably make a fortune. Um, <laughs> because especially Nick Saban's press conferences where there literally is nothing to, to be said.
1: I would love to hear you try to explain this to me because I'm not, it's definitely not English. I'm not sure what they were speaking.
0: So to me, it's all about trying to figure out what the Tennessee, what their big plan is. And the big plan was clearly to get out of Jeremy Pruitt's contract without paying any dollars. Yes. So all of it was keeping all of the blame for everything that could have possibly happened on Jeremy Pruitt, throwing him under the bus, even though he is the head coach and guilty of all of this stuff with a, a massive investigation, ongoing it was all about f- heaping all of the blame on him while cutting ties with fulmer but doing it in a clean way to make sure he feels good about it and that it, it appears that there is a good clean relationship break there they, they tried to make us think that philip fulmer didn't know a single thing that had gone wrong and that out of the kindness of his heart he's the guy who stepped aside it was his idea i don't buy any of that for a second I, you know is, is there cheating at every sec school if you hired high-priced lawyers to dig up dead bodies all over the sec they would find carcasses everywhere and everybody's kind of guilty of cheating was tennessee extra sloppy yes it wasn't 2020 cheating aaron it was like 1984 cheating it was like cash in bags and just terrible like the whole stuff is just and trey will tell us a little bit more about this later on but it was bad cheating bad football and when you have those two things combined it makes for an easy decision for the administration to try to let you out. Now, I did learn one thing. Okay. Which is that on November 13th is when the University of Tennessee Chancellor, Donnie Plowman, got the news that there was an allegation and that there's, there's very serious violations going on. She immediately that week hired the law firm to come in and do some research. And that means from the beginning, they were they were targeting this as the end result, which means it was an executed plan of attack and a strategy. We can argue if that's the right strategy or not, but I like the fact that Tennessee actually did something organized. That that's what I learned.
1: (laughs) That's definitely one way to look at it. Um, I think to me, there's two different outcomes of this. One was advantageous on the very short term. And one was, well, I guess there's two ways it could have gone. I guess is what I'm saying. Short term, obviously it's not going to cost you as much money. Okay. There you go. Now, but if the goal for Tennessee is to go back to um, a university that is known for greatness and potential championships, you need people in the room, coaching staff, that um, want to be there. <laughs> when you tactfully and intentionally screw your head coach and try to not maybe you're not trying to slander someone's reputation but that doesn't matter to you it was it was very intentional it was very planned out and to me that really decreases the desirability factor and trust that a coach I mean, if i was a you know potential candidate it's like wait is that how you is that how things go down do you not see that and maybe that's maybe that's a small smaller piece of this pie than Maybe I think it's bigger than it is, but to me, it just, it's a really, really bad look on the long-term because I think it's playing small ball, kind of.
0: Interesting. I do you think don't that, think so? Well, I, I think there's some of that. The, the job is less desirable because of the 15 years worth of horse manure you've had to deal with.
1: Yeah, and then you treat your and then you act like that. Yeah, but the
0: guys, the guys, guilty as shit. So I'm not gonna. Stand yeah, up. that's true. That's I'm true. I'm not gonna stand up for Jeremy Pruitt here. The guy he ain't
1: ten, the only one that knew. He
0: was a ten guys, ten people got fired. So like clearly there was cheating. But again, like I said, if you if you paid really talented, hardworking Bulldogs to investigate all 14 schools in the SEC, I'm willing to bet you they could find some dead bodies in every school. So it's yeah. not like, but it, but but you make the decision easier on the administration when you are god awful at coaching football. <laughs> number one, this is true losing by three touchdowns, like 13 times in three years is hard to do. And you are clearly openly cheating in a terrible way. Again, like 2020 (laughs) cheating is like not in the house y'all. Right. Like 2020 cheating is like not, not in my bedroom. Right. Like if you're going to cheat, you do it in the motel. 1984 cheating is like bags of cash in handed to recruits and hotel visits and unofficial credit card usage and all this stuff. Right? You can't do it out in the open and be bad at football. And be in the middle of a pandemic when they're trying to fire like like it's just all of it lined up to, to get rid of Jeremy Pruitt. The point is, is like they shouldn't have been in there. Philip Fulmer and Jeremy Pruitt should not have been the A.D. and the head coach from the beginning. That is the That's number right. one thing to remember. They should not have even been there. The observation of how they've handled this. You, you know, you said you didn't really learn anything. And the one thing I learned is the timeline here. It makes me feel like finally, Tennessee is organizing a plan because they didn't have a plan three years ago with Shiano. They didn't have a plan when they hired Derek Dooley. They didn't have a plan when they hired, but like none of this was, it was all rushed. It was all terrible for 10 years. And if Dondi Plowman is carefully and precisely executing this giant, big process, that's going to fire Jeremy Pruitt for no dollars, cut ties with Philip Fulmer, a legend that's delicate in a clean way, hire a search firm that's going to hire an AD the AD then is given the authority to hire a head coach. Kevin Steele was brought in intentionally for this purpose. That Everyone knows Kevin Steele was brought in to take over. I said it on all the shows. Like that That's why he was brought in, is to be the interim coach. Sure enough, here he is. So you can start to see a plan of attack for Nandi Plowman. And she came in only in 2019. So she's not a part of the history of all this garbage at Tennessee. So there's a chance that there's an organized plan of attack. Yeah,
1: I'm with you. you know? No, true. Because I think... I had a bad taste in my mouth because it's the same lack of transparency that you're hearing in this press conference. Like we're in a better place. Thank you for what you've given us and made this program. It's like, guys, just you're right. It does seem like there's a little bit more tact to this. They're being tactful. So tactful with like a splash of transparency would be really refreshing. Like, here's what we're going to do. Like, you know, we aren't where we want to be, but this is where we're, we have a plan and here's how we're going to get there. And if you could just sprinkle a little transparency in with this newfound tact, yeah, m- maybe that would be a better
0: approach yeah she she did say they're gonna hire the ad first before the head coach so she give us a she gave us nuggets but not but not i mean she can't give us a lot <laughs> except um, then you
1: heard thank you like thanks for making our program better and well we're all yeah like, from Yo.
0: when when randy boyd who's the president gets up there right. and like just thank you so much coach we're so proud of for what you do our program's better off today than it was when you took over i'm like what things did he do what are you talking about <laughs> so there there was like most of it was garbage clearly and we could talk about legacy we can talk about who the targets are supposed to be. There's a lot of conversations here about Tennessee.
1: So, yeah, Braden, if you're as in a as a very knowledgeable as a very knowledgeable member of the media, and as an alumni, who who do you want?
0: <laughs> the first lesson I think everyone needs to know about coaching searches, AD searches, whatever. <laughs> everything you you everything you see on the internet is just wrong. It's just it's just wrong unless it's unless it's explicitly labeled as reporting. It is people like me and you and fans and and media throwing shit on the wall to see what sticks. None of it is real. I can sit here and say Matt Campbell is the top choice I would hire right now today if I was Tennessee. I'm not saying that with any inside information. Sometimes, occasionally, I'll have inside information. Like, again, I said on this show, Clark Lee was going to be the head coach at Vanderbilt for a month (laughs) because I felt. Because I felt pretty comfortable that that was going to be the hire because I may or may not have had some information about that. I have no information about Tennessee. I, I am being open about this. If you can hire a sitting Power 5 head coach right now, you do it. I want experience as a premium characteristic for both the AD and for the head coach, if I'm a Tennessee fan, I want experienced AD who's got experience being an athletic director. Charles Davis, wonderful, wonderful man. VFL for life knows a lot about football. No chance I want that guy running the athletic department. He has no experience. I want people with experience. AD experience, head coaching experience. So if you can hire those people right now, do it. Gus Malzon would qualify in my mind. He would qualify as someone with power five experience. If you can get Matt Campbell, fine. If you can get Luke Fickle at Cincinnati, fine. I'll settle for that. Outside of those few names or somebody off the board, because Auburn did this, they went off the board and hired a good coach in Brian Harson. Kevin Steele should be the interim coach until December. Name him the interim coach for the full year and let the process, take your time with the process. The investigation is going to probably bring some sanctions. Why not let Kevin Steele eat up one of those years of sanctions instead of the new guy? You know, like, there's a, like if, if you're not sure about Jamie Chadwell as the head coach, give him another year and evaluate the data after 2021. Open for business. We're going to hire somebody in December. We are first in line in 2021 instead of last in line in 2020. I think naming Kevin Steele the interim coach for the whole year and conducting a thorough and mature and thought-out process for both the AD and for the head coach is the smart thing to do. Tennessee doesn't do a lot of smart things.
1: Do you think they caught wind of your advice? Do you think you're the mastermind behind their newfound tact?
0: Obviously, it's me. Um, yeah, no. No, but this is, again, like, again, if I was like Kellyanne Conway, and I had a master scheme to, like, manipulate everything, it would be what Dondi Plumman has done. And that is why I am border... There's, like, this tiny speck of optimism that this this person who is making all these incredibly shrewd and difficult decisions... Throwing Jeremy Pruitt under the bus, bringing in a law firm, researching her own, willing to take on NCAA sanctions, cutting ties with Philip Fulmer, you know, hiring a search firm. So far, I don't want to jinx it, but she's done everything I wanted to see them do, and she's doing it in a pretty calculating way. So I'm not willing to say that it's fixed yet, but there are signs. So again...
1: She's not as nearsighted, it would seem.
0: And, and the same thing, you got to play the long game here. I totally agree. same thing with the AD, like... I can throw out Mitch Barnhart as a name that they should go call the the Kentucky athletic director for 20 years. I don't think he's going to take the job, but those are the guys I would call. Those are the men and women I would call somebody who's a sitting power five athletic director. You can go get a group of five athletic director, but at least they have AD experience. So when you hear media, people talk about candidates, they are all just making this shit up all of them. So, and you can, and you can set your watch to it. It's like clockwork. It's like, okay, if coach gets fired, here's a top five list from this company, top 10 list from this company. Well, we know that guy's connected to one agency. We know that company's connected to that tree. Like you can see the matrix. You can see it all. If you just pay close enough attention. And again, coach gets fired immediately. What do you see on Twitter? Top five, top 10, top, you know, it's the same stuff. And everybody's just guessing. Nobody actually, Tennessee has no clue what they're going to do right now. They have a search firm looking for an AD in the middle of a giant investigation into their recruiting violations. They don't know who's going to be their AD right now. So don't tell me any of these media members have a freaking clue stop.
1: That's fair. I, I have I, I have no argument against that. I think that there are a lot of occasions where people are just throwing stuff on the wall. I just think that right now you're correct in saying that you're really throwing stuff up against the wall, considering that the university is not even at the point, considering how recently all this happened, that they, they even have a clue what's correct.
0: So do you want to know what I know? Yeah. Like what I can say?
1: Yeah, well, I, I wanted to know who you really wanted. Well, I
0: want like, Matt, I want Matt Campbell. If you can hire Matt yeah. Campbell from Iowa State, do it today. I don't even you don't even need an AD. Just go hire him. <laughs> Give him $7 million, whatever he wants, to leave Iowa in a top 10 program and come work for the dumpster fire in Knoxville. But he's a hell of a football coach. Pay him whatever he wants. Outside of that, or any other sitting power five guy that you think is great, you know, I, I would wait until December. But Here's some, here are some things that I, that I think I know. How about this? I think I'm stealing this from, I'm stealing this from Stephen Godfrey. who has been on the show before okay. he, he does thera- He calls it therapy language, which is, I think I feel I know. And here's what I think. I think that the sec has a ban on Hugh freeze. I don't think Hugh freeze can come into the sec and be a head coach because the sec doesn't want him to maybe in December. He can, I think that Hugh freeze is a dramatically overrated coach. I don't think he's as good as people think. And you just saw a press conference where they preached integrity, integrity, integrity farms, and are they going to hire someone with no integrity? I, I don't get that one. Here's the other thing. Here are a couple other things I know. Will Healy would probably take the job in two seconds from Charlotte. Jamie Chadwell would probably take the job in two seconds from Coastal Carolina. He's from a farm like just north of Knoxville, Tennessee. See, these are things I know and things I think and things I feel. None of that is reporting. But it is all just sort of with some background information, a little bit of knowledge sprinkled in. I think Will Healy and Jamie Chadwell are too unqualified for the job right now in December. Maybe I change my mind, but right now I don't think they're good enough for the job.
1: I'm going to give you one more therapeutic exercise. Love it. One of the sentences where you have to say, when you do, I'm feeling like blank. And when you do blank, it makes me feel like blank. You need to fill that in Thanks. as Brayden Gall. I
0: can't remember any of those. This is too me hard. And I, okay,
1: I'll, I'll just make it more simple. <laughs> when you do blank, it makes me feel like blank. They always say that when someone hurts your feelings or you're like in a, like an argument, whether it's a relationship or whatever.
0: Okay, okay. So, like, when my wife uses double standards, I feel like it's unfair and I lash out.
1: Yes, yeah. like one of those. <laughs> but, yes. <that's laughs>
0: she doesn't listen to the show. We're good.
1: That's fair. Do one of that. Write one of those little short letters to Tennessee.
0: Okay. Um, (laughs) uh, When Tennessee fans use selective moral outrage to decide who should be their head football coach, it pisses me off.
1: That was fun. That makes sense? Yeah, and it's kind of like exposure therapy once again on the show. So this is good.
0: I genuinely feel better right now.
1: I know it kind of works. <laughs> you were, are we ready? Should we? Let, let's. What I, I do wa- we want to talk about next?
0: I, I want to talk about legacies <laughs> okay. because Philip Fulmer's legacy is complicated. Yes. I, I don't know. I don't know about you, Aaron. I just think people are complicated and we should not be viewed as our worst moment, our best moment for Philip Fulmer. His worst moment was probably stabbing John Curry in the back, taking the athletic director job and hiring Jeremy Pruitt. I don't know. Total and complete utter failure of three years of, of being the athletic director. And his best moment is hoisting the the national championship trophy in 1998 with a ton of other really good seasons. So he is a, he is a legendary hall of fame football coach for a reason, but you can't tell his whole story without the other stuff. How Johnny majors was in a hospital bed when he got the job in 92, that he, that he's backstabbed his way into two different jobs. One of which he was great at one of which he failed. And the Jeremy Pruitt era is a total failure and it's his fault. So I, I just, I think you can hold two things in your mind where you hold up Philip Fulmer's accomplishments and remember the joys that he created. And you also can say, man, this was a bad decision. We should not have brought him on as the ad urban Meyer. If you're a Florida fan, urban Meyer is obviously a liar. (laughs) He's a brilliant football coach. So you can have those two things in your mind at the same time. I just think legacies are complicated.
1: I will say that. Well, I'm not sure if it's better. I guess it's better to go out on a good Note, <laughs> but it's hard to, it's hard to get to where it is complex because Philip Fulmer created such a legacy and it's kind of like saving him and giving him a little tiny bit of grace right now that someone else that hadn't done what he did would not otherwise have.
0: That's exactly But it's right.
1: sad because you're on, it's sad because someone who did do so many great things for that university is going out on such a weird note I will say that I don't think his bad actions have been repetitive and directly um, directly affected other humans to the extent that some other coaches have, like Urban Meyer, and then they're repeated. So he, I think he's seeing this as one big, huge mistake, and he's kind of just like, I'll take my old reputation back <laughs> and just kind of easing out of it. I will say that I, it doesn't offend me as much. I'm, I'm not judging as much because I think you were really, really bad at your job. And I'm sure there were some moral hiccups along the way as there are at a lot of sec schools or any school in the NCAA or any sport at any level. But I don't think he, his were involving directly screwing people for his own benefit over and over.
0: No, I, he, he loves Tennessee. There's no question about his love of his alma mater and his love of Tennessee. Like there's no question about that. Yeah. He, he just wasn't qualified like to do that job. And again, I do think legacies change as time goes on. I, I think as time will go on and especially if Tennessee hires a really good coach and all of a sudden they're better at football, time will heal all wounds and we will look back more fondly on Philip Fulmer than we do currently the week. He looks like a moron, but like, <laughs> I always use the Buffalo Bills as this example and in the moment they lose their fourth straight Super Bowl everyone's like oh my god this team is garbage they're atrocious imagine being on that team imagine being those players like we went 0 and 4 in four straight Super Bowls we are terrible like how much they would have beaten themselves up scott norwood like all this stuff but now 25 years later you look at it and you go man going to four straight Super Bowls is pretty unbelievable like no one's ever done that before so I think legacies evolve as time goes on like I'm curious like if you're a Texas A&M fan you love Johnny Manziel for what he did on the field because it was spectacular. But what do you think of when you think of Johnny Manziel? If you're an A&M fan, you're probably going to grow into loving his play on the field more and more and forgetting all the other really awful stuff that happened. If you're not an a and fan, you probably remember all the other stuff, all the other weird, bizarre stuff. You know, just I don't know. I just think legacies are fascinating to me
1: it makes me think of Philip Fulmer's the end of all of this when you're just kind (laughs) of like stepping back slowly, like, "Mm, sorry about that. Forget about that. And just keep my earlier thing. It like makes me think about like Michael Jordan, like trying to play other things besides (laughs) basketball.
0: Well, I mean, Jordan's a perfect example. Tiger Woods would be in this group as well. There's a great documentary on HBO. I can't wait to watch about all of his flaws. And I don't know. I just think it's people are complicated. And mm-hmm. people have sometimes inside their own heads, conflicting ideas about stuff that they think. And, you know, Coach O is another example, because we're going to talk about LSU's coaching staff and, and Nick Saban bringing in a, you know, you know, people lose coaches all the time. And Nick Saban's is the only one who brings in like NFL head coaches to be like offensive line coaches. Doug Marone, I think is going to be on the staff coming up next year. And he's probably the only one that can do it. But I think about Coach O. Coach O now is this, his legacy is going to be incredibly fascinating getting in bar fights on the coaching staff in Miami as a drunk in like the night in like, you know, way back in the day winning national titles to, g- to getting sober, to being the Ole Miss head coach where he was an utter failure to being the USC interim where he was really good to being on Tennessee staff where he was trying to sort of illegally recruit early enrollees to go to USC from Tennessee, which is a black mark. Then he goes to LSU and he saves the day and becomes a superhero by restoring greatness to LSU But at the same time, maybe there's this massive sexual assault scandal. Like it's just, Coach O is just filled with this conflicting sort of legacies every step of his career. And he's the guy that most of us wanted to root for over the last 10 years. I was one of them. I don't know if I am anymore, you know?
1: It is so interesting, especially, you know, talking about Coach O or really anyone when you're, when you're the strongest way to leave a legacy is bringing a lot of joy to people. And I think that they both did that, but it's so interesting because like not at all, Miss, but like LSU and, you know, the, the scandal stuff aside, you were at the forefront of a lot of families, fans, alumni, some of their best memories with the people around them that they care about. Like it sticks, but you bring up a, an interesting, you know, geographical point, which is that wasn't the case everywhere. And – how did you, you know, everyone's going to make mistakes. How did you handle them? Did you own them? Because people can forgive you for a lot, a lot of stuff if you can take the heat. If you can, if you're willing to get have be roasted and put yourself out there, you know, people can forgive you for a lot. You know, it, there is, there's a lot of complexity to like, this whole thing.
0: Like Gene Chiswick, Gene Chiswick, like our Auburn fans going to remember Gene Chiswick for 0 and 8 or Gene Chiswick for Cam Newton and a national title that's a complicated career tenure there at Auburn. But if I'm an Auburn fan, all I'm probably going to remember 20 years from now is the national championship is Cam Newton and all the comebacks and you know, all that stuff. I just, people are complicated and I don't don't know. I just think over time we like, we're not our worst moment. We're not our best moment. Certainly some of these worst moments for some of these coaches are way worse than others. And some of the best moments are way better than others doing a bad job as the ad for three years is not as bad as like covering up a sexual assault scandal or whatever so like it's you know you have to keep it all in perspective i just think it's a problem we have in society in general which is that we look at somebody's worst possible moment and judge them on that or their best possible moment and judge them on that and we don't look at sort of like the sum of the body of work and i think fulmer's legacy at the end of his at the end of his when he passes away let's say hopefully years from now I just think when they write the final story for Philip Fulmer, it'll largely be positive with a you know couple of bad chapters. Rightly so, and that's that's probably most of our lives, frankly.
1: Well, as we talk about the you know the ups and downs of coaching and legacies and all of that, think about and we're talking about Coach O, you know, obviously this year was a far cry from, you know, recent years with you know, one of arguably one of the best teams in college football history, and it's just the up-and-down wave of, of what it's like to be a coach, especially in the SEC. But I think a large part of the legacy conversation not only has to do with how you act and obviously like treat people and how you follow rules, but are you getting the right kids through the door And Coach O, obviously, you know, they have some potential scandal on their hands, but he also seems to, there's a reason all of his guys are coming back, especially like all these guys returning to LSU. So what do you think that means for this team? And what do you hope to see on the coaching front as they continue to fill in those gaps?
0: I mean, I I think the big question, and I hate to say this about your boy, Sam, Sam Pittman at Arkansas.
1: Oh, you better be careful.
0: I, I don't know how sustainable it is because Nick Saban, he's basically been the only coach that's been able to sustain massive turnover on his coaching staff. And so while he can do it because he's arguably the greatest of all time, I, I just, you know, Sam Pittman is going to have to rely heavily on his coordinators. How long can he keep that staff together? Coach O is dealing with this right now. I mean, he had two brilliant coordinators running his offense and his defense on the 2019 championship team. And we learned really quickly last year that they were very valuable. I mean, I know the pandemic was a big problem and burrow leaving and a lot of talent, but they're bringing everybody back and they're having to change coordinators. Again, they just missed out on, on, on Ryan Nielsen. who was going to be the defensive coordinator, but the saints gave him a huge raise and a promotion, which I think is a great move by the saints. He's a really talented coach. So I think that's a big blow to LSU from a defensive standpoint, but there's plenty of good coaches. You can go hire. You know, Jake Pete's is a fascinating story. Like, he strikes me because he's kind of comes from the Joe Brady tree. I mean, his story is fat. like grew up in a tiny town in, in Nebraska, sort of worked his way across the country, random jobs, JUCO in California, pe- pestering Norm Chow to like learn about offense at UCLA. And, you know, then he goes to work for like, he worked for like the Pacers in like a strength and conditioning staff role. Then he worked for the Jags as a scout. And then he became a coach and just constantly busted his ass to get where he is. And largely viewed as this really smart, really savvy, hardworking guy. Who's always put himself in the right place. So if, if, you know, that's kind of Joe Brady's story. So I I think there's some optimism that I don't know if it's wishful thinking trying to get the band back together because he's off the Joe Brady tree or if, you know, if it's, if he's got a legit chance to be a brilliant offensive mind, but I, I I can't, I can't wait to see what happens at LSU. (laughs) That's for sure.
1: It'll be interesting just to see someone who has dabbled in that many different parts of this game all in in a lot of different aspects and how that translates obviously his obsession and love is football and everything that comes with it and that will be valuable especially in thinking about what it's like to work with him and under him in part in the athletic department he will have a respect factor for a lot of people in that building um not that other coaches don't have not because they don't respect their staff, but because with real true respect comes from real true understanding, and he's going to understand what a lot of those positions take, what a lot of those things look like, and, you know, maybe even a bigger respect factor for the time that goes into them that some other coaches might not be aware of, and I think that's going to fare really, really well for his relationships with the staff because they're going to feel understood when that happens, you know, people will have your back.
0: It's another example, like pizza is another example of how the media has no clue. Like they have no clue. Like, first of all, most media members, and I'm a really knowledgeable football guy and I played football in Texas and in high school growing up, but I, it's still like taking a 600 level foreign language for most media people to go into a coaching room and try to talk football. So like, and, and, and then also to know what skills and characteristics you're looking for when you hire a coach, not just schematically and philosophy wise, because this guy, you know, clearly this guy, this young guy lines up with Joe Brady's, you know, RPOs and all this other stuff we could talk about, but like, you have to, you have to be around these people. It's no different than hiring anybody in any other position. You have to, you're sort of taking a chance on a personality fitting in and, and all this other stuff. And I just, I don't envy coaches and athletic directors for making these decisions, but it's part of why you make so much money. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm fascinated to watch it play out because Sam Pittman's a, a CEO, Coach O's a CEO, Shane Beamer at South Carolina is the CEO, no play calling experience whatsoever. So he's clearly not the, like, the guru schematic guy, right? So I'm, I'm fascinated to watch these things play out. Like Clark Lee at Vanderbilt is clearly a defensive schematic guru. Like we know that. Brian Harson is clearly an offensive schematic guru at, at Auburn. Shane Beamer is just like a CEO guy. So is he going to hire really great coordinators and keep them all together for 10 years? I, I don't know. That's a hard thing to sustain in my opinion. I, I don't know.
1: Definitely not an easy thing to sustain just because of the nature of, you know, collegiate athletics, especially football, but relationships as we always talk about is at the core of all of this. And obviously lifestyle money and all of that, you know, the ability to move up your upward trajectory, um, all play into it. But, um, the coaches that the coaches and and staff that has respect and understanding for each other oftentimes can serve as glue that make that makes things last longer and you know maybe helps you build a legacy at whatever school you're at in a way that other people could not.
0: yeah, it'll be fascinating to watch all these different coaching. I mean we're gonna have what like eleven we had four new coaches last year, four new coaches this year, and we had a couple more the year before that. like it's basically you know, (laughs) other than like Kirby smart and, and Nick Saban, it's like, everybody's turned, you know, everybody's turned over.
1: It's interesting too. How many people in that same period of time, how long, how many head coaches will have moved to coordinator positions or vice versa?
0: You mean like down, like who got fired? Yeah,
1: that hasn't happened. Well, I guess it's happened some from outside the sec to coming into the sec as coordinators.
0: Well, I mean, Bar- Barry Odom, for example, got fired as the head coach at Missouri and became the defensive coordinator at Arkansas. That's yeah, pretty... wouldn't both
1: play anyone too?
0: Yeah, but he was a head coach like ten years ago. I don't, you know,
1: has it been I, that long?
0: Probably not. I don't remember exactly, but God, he was at, he was know. at Youngstown State for a while, so I'm not counting that. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm I'm saying like Nebraska, which I want to say was like 2000. God, I don't know, like 12 or 13.
1: It's like a game of Tetris. No,
0: but you're right. He's a former head coach. That's true. And then all of the Alabama coaching staff is all just like former NFL head coaches. So, Mason? Yeah. 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 There you go. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it all works out. I. It's
1: like hot potato.
0: Yeah. It, but again, like like look in the SEC East. Dan Mullen is in what? He's, he's coached three years. Mark Stoops is by far the longest tenured coach in the SEC East. By far. Wow. Like,
1: that's weird to think about it like that.
0: You've got... Vandy coach in, with zero years, South Carolina coach with zero years, Tennessee coach with zero years, Missouri coach with one year, <laughs> like Whoa. one combined year of experience in those four schools in the sec. And then on the West, same thing. Mike Leach, one year, Lane Kiffin one year, Sam Pittman one year. Now you've got it. Brian Harson, zero years, like Jimbo Fisher, Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban, Cocho, and Kirby smart. Like those four have been here for like five years or whatever. And that's, that's about it. Otherwise everybody's turned over. It's, it's, it's crazy to think about. It's the Nick Saban effect, I guess.
1: Is there also, if we're talking about it like that, there, maybe there's, there's a reason that or those are, you know, three, four of the best teams in the, in the league also. But it's like, are they it. good because people stuck around? or?
0: No, there's a reason those are the four best teams in, in the SEC, roughly speaking. LSU is sort of kind of popping in and out of that group. But true. by and large, those are the four best in 2020. Those will be the four best next year. LSU again could pop in and out depending on who they hire, but you're right. Those four coaches are the best four coaches right now. And those four programs are the best four programs right now. So I don't think that's an accident, Uh, which means that Tennessee is looking to find that guy. So without any more conversation from you and I, Aaron, always a pleasure to see you, by the way. Good to talk to you. Where can people follow you?
1: Um, The Aaron Dugan on Twitter, Aaron underscore Dugan on the gram and yourself.
0: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall, at Braden D Gall on Instagram at 440 Sports on Twitter and Facebook at 440 Media on Instagram. Please yep. rate, review, and subscribe and share the show, all that good stuff. But special announcement coming up next week, so make sure you stay tuned for that next week. So we're gonna do that. Uh, but let's hear from Trey Wallace from Fox Sports Knoxville. He's gonna give us a even further dig deep into the all the minutia of what's going on with the Tennessee Volunteers and the NCAA investigation and and all that good stuff. So we'll, without further ado, this was our conversation with Trey Wallace. Trey, first of all, thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time, man. We do appreciate it. So just let me get your thoughts first, before we get into anything that might happen with Tennessee's football program, moving forward in the future, let let me just sort of get your thoughts on the press conference on Monday. I, you know, I don't know what words you would use. I know which ones I would use <laughs> uh, to describe that press conference. And normal is not one of them.
2: No, it was, it was surreal. Like it, it, it was weird. I, I, I took it as the administration, let me rephrase it. I took it as D. Plowman and Randy Boyd were very, very agitated to be in the spot that they were in on Monday. Um, having to answer some of the questions Not knowing the scope of things, I think, would be a good term as well until the investigation, that part was wrapped up. Because I don't think the investigation is really done yet, uh, technically, turning it over to the NCAA and whatnot. But, man, they were pissed. I mean, that's a good way to put it. They were just pissed off that they were up there. Uh, They tried to put on that happy face, but it was a surreal moment in there on Monday. It it, it was just one of those things where – and then the other weird part was Philip Former just sitting down there to the left to the right, however you want to watch it. And some questions that were meant for Fulmer, Dondi Plowman was answering. And it was, it was just really, really weird. I, I don't know the best way to put it. I think that would probably be it. Shocked and pissed.
0: Well, and it's with Tennessee, you're never shocked that you're shocked. It's always important to remember that. Right. I will say this. One of the reactions that I took from it was just the, the, the they went out of their way to praise and heap effusive praise upon Philip Fulmer and that like, again, are we supposed to honestly believe that Philip Fulmer had zero clue that not a single thing had ever happened incorrectly with his football program? And that out of the goodness of his heart, he decided knowing what we know about how he got the head coaching job and the AD job that out of the goodness of his heart, he decided on his own that for the betterment of Tennessee football, he would step aside. It just doesn't strike me as anything that Philip Fulmer would normally do.
2: No. And, and, and look who, who, who is Jeremy Pruitt's boss, Philip Fulmer? Uh, Philip Fulmer, by his own accord, has said that you know I, I sit in on meetings, I sit in, you know when they're when they're watching film. Um, I like to be involved in the football program. Just I don't know a month and a half ago, what was it? Will Friend had a false positive on a test, and Philip Fulmer was the offensive line coach for a day in practice. I mean, it, it's just one of those things where I don't I don't buy it to be honest with you. I, I really don't. Um, I think Philip Fulmer was told, Hey man, look, you're going down this route. You know, there, there's no way that we're going to make this look good. There's no way we can everything that's been going on in this program. It's been underneath your watch. And really we put you in charge to handle football because Rick Barnes could take care of himself in basketball. Tony Vitello could take care of himself in baseball. You know, we don't need you really for anything else. And that's not a shot at Fulmer. That's just being realistic here. So I, I, I have to agree that to you know, the, the announcement on Monday about him retiring and how it just came as a one-two punch along with Jeremy Pruitt, there's no other way to look at it, Braden.
0: Which brings us, and, and I think this is the most important thing here moving forward, that if Tennessee fans want to actually find future success in a football program, it goes without saying you have to hire a good coach. Like, we, like there's not even a point in discussing that. You're going to have to go hire a good football coach. That's, you know, just part of the job. The question is, how do you go about doing that that is different from the way they've done it every single time for the last 15 years? And I don't have the players changed. I don't mean the the players on the team. I mean, the people making the decisions. Uh, Do we have any faith that a search firm that's going to pick out an AD is then going to allow that AD to make a football hire the way uh, Director Green did at Auburn, for example, where the boosters felt like they were running the asylum and then... They put the, their foot down and they went out and hired a good football coach in Brian Harson. Right. What what faith do you have that the same people that have been quote-unquote meddling or in charge or on the board or whatever are not also going to be a part of the problem in this next round of, of hires?
2: I mean, I, I don't I don't disagree with you in a sense of maybe a little bit of the, the big-time boosters kind of meddling. I, I think more or less. Dondi Plowman put a hammer down uh, in a sense of, okay, this is how I'm going to run it. This is the decisions I'm going to make. You know, thank you, Randy Boyd, for helping me out in these decisions. But she's smart. She knows athletics. So to think, you know, we all know the big boosters, the Charlie Andersons, the Thunder Thortons, the Charlie Ergens, Hazlens, whatever. Um, I, I don't – here's a big thing to me. The fact that they don't have to pay a buyout, or they're going to try not to pay a buyout. Let's, let's go that way. That really goes to show you, hey, man, we don't need you all right now. We don't need you to come in here and save the day when it comes to a money situation. Um, So I think looking at that part of it, that's a plus for Tennessee. Now, when you bring in a new AD, okay, that AD, uh, is he attached? Is she attached to Tennessee in previous manners? Okay. Maybe so. Uh, How much influence does these big time guys have on, on who they go after for a head coach or an athletic director. I really think it comes to the, the search firm thing is what every school does. Okay. I, I kind of put it in a sense of, you know, my alma mater, South Alabama was going out and hiring a coach and they already knew who they wanted in Kane Womack. Well, Joel Erman went out and hired the Parker search firm because that's just how you do things. So I think in the long run, I think Tennessee will find themselves an athletic director that that has knowledge of the program. Why not Ingram down at UAB? Uh, maybe somebody to keep an eye on somebody that knows the Tennessee program has done great things at UAB getting their football program back after it was absolutely dead knows the UT program. I just think you might not have to go to these big boosters and say, Hey, we need your money. I think we're in a situation now where Donnie plowman's like, Hey, I'm running the show here. So if you're going to let me do that and I'm the one that made these decisions, then I think that's how it comes around to maybe you don't need the big main guys.
0: Well, and I do think that's how you go about finding success is to, to close ranks and give somebody the authority to go hire somebody without any blowback from the people that want to golf with these guys on, on Mondays and Tuesdays. Exactly. And and that's how you go about conducting professional adult business at, at a, in a $200 million business, which is what Tennessee athletics is. Um, do you expect any of this? And I've, I've been on the, the, I've been of the belief that Kevin Steele should be the interim coach for the entire year and that you should make your program the first one in line for the next cycle, not the last one in line for this cycle. A, what do you make of that strategy? And B, how likely do you think it is that Tennessee is actually considering this? Um, again, it's it's that's more four-dimensional chess, and Tennessee's been playing a lot of checkers lately.
2: I think it's likely. I mean, in a sense of, okay, we're, we're sitting here towards the end of January now. Uh, signing day doesn't matter for Tennessee, so let's go ahead and throw that out. I are gonna get some transfer guys, some portals. They're gonna go find some guys to take care of guys in here. So that really doesn't matter. Um, having Steele in place, Steele is a lot better option than when Arkansas did with John L. Smith years ago. I feel that Kevin Steele can actually bring something to the program where John L. Smith was there just to give out quotes in the media. Like he didn't really do anything for me at Arkansas. I think if you if you keep some of the staff together that you have right now, the ones that weren't fired today which there were a lot of on Monday that were fired. Um, I think you go back and you take a look at it. Okay, how many coaches can we keep around and Jim Cheney or Winky, Ansley, something like that. And then maybe Kevin Steele can do the whole year. Now, if Tennessee really wants to say, okay, we want to build towards the future in the next month and a half. We want to know what the next five to six years, 10 years is going to be at Tennessee. Then, okay, maybe you go out and make that hire. Who is that hire? Is it Jamie Chadwell? Is it Will Healy? I know that's just a name. Um, I'd call Lane Kiffin. My first call would actually be to Lane Kiffin. I know some people might not like that, but I've I've been told that he would walk on glass to get back to Knoxville. Would that actually be a good situation? Probably not, but I would make (laughs) that kind of call. I would make that kind of call too, because here's my biggest thing. You have nothing to lose now if you're Tennessee. You're about to get hit by the NCAA. It's not going to be good. These allegations are bad, and I'm talking bad. So if you know that you're going to take a postseason ban, maybe it's two years, uh, you know you're going to take a recruiting hit, if somebody says yes to you and they're in that position of a a, a high-ranking kind of coach that brings some spaz, because Tennessee needs life now. Tennessee's program, football program, it, it, it's almost flatlining in a sense of, okay, Jeremy Pruitt's gone, but what do we do now? Because he left us so much damage. So now you have to figure out, okay, what brings excitement? What's going to get fans excited about spring football and fall football and get people packed into the stands? It's not going to – I hate to say it, it's not going to be Kevin Steele. <laughs> One in 31.
0: <laughs> One in 31 as a head coach. It's true. Yeah,
2: but, I mean, if you have to go that route and you feel comfortable and you're like, okay, let's do it. I mean, I know right now, you know, like Monday night, he was handling the team meeting. Um, he's the one out there in front. So if you feel that way, that's fine. But a lot of people are going to look at Kevin Steele, these players, these 18 to 21, players, I mean, who, who the hell is this? Like if you didn't get recruited by Auburn in the last five to eight years, right. you're not going to know who Kevin Steele is. That's where you have to make the decision, Braden. I, I think
0: it's interesting, though. And I do find it if you're trying to attract a more attractive candidate, for lack of a better term, at yeah. the head coaching position. What Kevin Steele has one year of an interim could do for you, if you're Tennessee, number one, it gives you time to get everything else in line. Agreed. And number two, if you're going to get hit with two years of probation and, and recruiting ban for two years or, or scholarship limitations, it does sort of knock one of those off for the next guy to come in. So if it's a one year probation and five scholarships or whatever, you see what I'm saying? Like, Right. There's more than one reason to to let him be in charge for a year because let's be honest, 2021 Tennessee football, whether they hire somebody this week or not, is not going to be challenging for the East Championship.
2: I thought Tennessee was going to be a seven win team next year. So my whole philosophy on the Jeremy Pruitt experiment, allegations, NCAA stuff or not, is what is good? You're coming off three and seven. So what's acceptable to come back in 22? Is it eight wins? Is it nine wins? Tennessee right now is not an eight or nine win team look at their defense, you know, look at the offense, who's going to protect the quarterback. I mean, I know, okay, K. Mays returns and you got carbon and Calvert and Cooper, whatever. These are not, that's not an all-star offensive line. Tennessee wasted that this past year. So now you look at the situation and okay, how do we make do with what we have? And I, and I don't disagree with you. If you make Kevin Steele the quote interim for the rest of the year, you take your time, you vet candidates out there. You try to figure out who's going to be available um, because, you know, I don't think Harbaugh is going to go anywhere now after he just signed his big extension. You know, what's Tom Herman do? You know, I'm just saying there's so many names that could come open in the next seven to eight to nine months. Why go out there and risk it on something you don't know that is going to be right there as a positive for the future because you're gambling right now. That's,
0: that's my argument. Take your time.
2: You got take, nothing else to do besides take your time, take earn your, your stuff in.
0: <laughs> right, take your time. You know, organize yourself and and then let one year of 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 NCAA stuff tick off the off the ledger. I don't know. There could be worse strategies. And you know what? They've tried it. They've tried the rush tire before, right? right. Late in, late in the process, we, we they tried it with Derek Dooley. They tried it with Jeremy Pruitt. Neither one of them worked. Why not take your extra time and try something different? That's just my the, thought. Just my thought. Here's
2: the biggest thing about Tennessee. They can't strike out on this hire. They better go out and do something with this hire. You have to go out and get a name. You can no longer get a DC that worked for Saban or somebody that worked for (laughs) Felicek or none of that. I'm I'm tired of that mess. Tennessee has to sack up now and be able to spend the money to go out and hire themselves a head coach that is viable and can be in this league because the Saban disciple stuff, that just was escorted out the door on Monday. Yep. Without even letting him talk to his team and the assistant coaches, escorted out by security. I'm telling you, you got to get away from all the mess that you put yourself into. Go out and hire somebody <laughs> that you knows a big name and can do what you need to do for Tennessee.
0: Uh, easier said than done, my friend. I know, Try.
2: brother. <laughs> all... football, man. <laughs>
0: yep, yep. We live and breathe it, baby. Always a pleasure, my friend. Good to talk to you. Uh, we do appreciate it on this.
2: Thank you, buddy. I appreciate you.
0: All right, thanks for listening, everybody. Of course, that was Trey Wallace from Fox Sports in Knoxville. We do appreciate his time. Uh, always a, a, a really good opportunity to talk with him. Very, very insightful stuff. We do appreciate it. Uh, so thank you guys all for listening. Of course, we're going to be with you every single week in the offseason. Check us out every Thursday. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Fringe Element, of course. Aaron Dugan, my wonderful co-host. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you guys all for listening. This has been the Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network.